Mike Seibert Radio is an independent podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests only and do not necessarily reflect those of any broadcasters that any of us either have been, am now, or will be affiliated with. Enjoy the show! Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I am at Mike Seibert Radio. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Seibert Radio, and you could write into the mailbag, Mike Seibert Radio at gmail.com. And the spelling on that, by the way, is S E I B E R T, just the way it sounds. Uh, this is the podcast radio show where I talk about stuff and things that are on my mind every week. It's a pop culture show from Seattle focusing on interviews, independent artists, and occasionally more. And this week, I've got a very special show for you. I would like to bring in uh, my good friend, a uh, a former uh, collaborator back at our time at uh, radio station KGRG 89.9 FM playing today's rock. Uh, Please give it up for returning guest co-host, Dave Sanders. Yes, thank you. I am back yet again. We're not going to talk to TV this time, though. Don't worry. We won't bore you with all that crap that was going on. Well, you know, not 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 for nothing. I mean, we one of these days, uh, not today, because we don't. We've got a lot no. to cover. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we should probably do like a uh, fall TV follow up uh, show where we're kind of talking about shows we like and shows maybe we don't like and and uh, and all of that. Uh, but uh, uh, well, the uh, mid season is coming up. Hint hint. Tease, tease, nudge, nudge. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Very subtle, Dave. Um, so, uh, yeah. um, how uh, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, like I was telling you off uh, off air here, had a bit of a cold. Uh, that this Arizona heat turned into uh, mid 70s pretty quickly and got everybody pretty sick down here. So, oh, man. yeah, it's it's been hell. But uh, I'm better now. My voice is back. I didn't have a voice last week. Kind of feels like somebody that we're going to be talking about here in a few minutes. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, a little foreshadowing. <laughs> oh, man, I could already feel the heat from those hot yeah. takes. So, um, you know, as you can see in the title of the episode, uh, this is our Bohemian Rhapsody uh, movie extravaganza where we will be talking about the Queen biopic. Uh, we're going to be talking about a few things. Uh, you know, it's uh, we're going to be celebrating the music of Queen. Uh, that's uh, that's why Dave is here with us. He's a, he's a huge lifelong fan. And I would say to say that you're a lifelong fan would probably be an understatement, right? It would be, yeah. I mean, I still have all the vinyls uh, at my dad's. I uh, still have all the, uh, I mean, I, I have pretty much everything Queen. I, when I heard about this movie coming out, I was so excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, just real quick. Sure. I got what I paid for and I loved it. That's all that matters. All <laughs> right. Very good. Well, you know. Uh, and the podcast, see you next time. <laughs> 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 well, but, so. Um, First off, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, Tangents upon Tangents, because that happens here, and uh, NSFW. 
So don't listen to this around the kiddos. Yeah, yeah. So so unlike the movie, which is uh, PG-13, which I'm sure we'll talk about, this is, uh, yeah, this will be very NSFW. I'm sure I'll, uh, um, I, I'm sure we'll swear at some point. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about a, a few things, you know, some trivia, some Easter eggs, you know, some stuff that was left out of the movie, uh, um, some things that are maybe controversial about the movie, but really it's just, it's just kind of like a, a discussion and celebration. And, you know, so this is a, you know, this is a podcast for somebody that has seen the movie and, you know, maybe wants to hear just a, just a couple fans uh, jaw about it. So um, I, I think it's, uh, or if you haven't seen it and you want to see it, I mean, this might be like your tipping point. Who knows? It, if you're a Queen fan, you should see it. I'm just going to say that off the top. It, okay. Regardless of your feelings about what you've heard, what you think the movie is going to be about, if you're a fan of this band, go see this movie. Because it is it, it will give you the, all the feelings as a Queen fan and as a Freddie fan, in my opinion. Definitely. So, um, so from there, you know, I, you know, as uh, Dave and I were uh, setting up kind of the structure of the show, you know, uh, you know, if if you've listened to other movie deep dive. Uh, episodes of Mike Seibert Radio, usually with Killing Spree, where it's, you know, it's we, um, you know, roll the trailers and get super spoilery and essentially talk about the entire plot. Uh, we're not going to do that here because there's a lot of other meat on the bone. And quite frankly, I uh, I don't want to get lost in the minutia, but I thought um, and and actually uh, the the plot is pretty straightforward. But what I thought I would do just to kind of kick things off and kind of stoke the flames a little bit. Uh, you probably heard this on last week's uh, episode where I played a little bit of uh, uh, a recent episode of Fat Man Beyond where it's Kevin Smith and Mark Bernardin uh, talking about um, they, they were talking about other stuff, but they drifted into this uh, uh, riff on Bohemian Rhapsody. And I think this will kind of really uh, set the table and spoil everything in this entire movie and just kind of really give us a, a, uh, a spring board uh to uh begin the discussions with it's montage for too much of it it's one of those like hey it's freddie mercury he's got an amazing voice he joins queen queen's amazing suddenly they're rock stars we need the standard rich and famous contract here's your rich and famous contract we're touring japan we're going everywhere are you sure you didn't see a star is born because that's exactly the Real fucking route right? it takes <laughs> you know and it's like freddie he said he got married once remember that turns out Bisexual? No, y'all gay. I'm bisexual. Gay. Bisexual. Gay. Gay. Okay. And then we're famous. We're still famous. And then I isolated all my friends. And what's going on? Drinking too much. Cut a song with Bowie, maybe. I don't know. Oh, shit. I got this disease that seems to be infecting the gay community. I need to tell people about it, but not yet because I want to keep it a secret. And oh, hey, man, you want to go play Live Aid? I don't know. I haven't sang in a while. I'm spoiling most of this movie, by the way. Bohemian <laughs> Rhapsody in one minute by Mark Bernard and ladies and gentlemen, give it up for him. He's almost done. Almost done. Take us home. Take, Take us, us home. home. He's like, we got to do this one concert. What's the concert? It's going to be fucking Live Aid, man. Bob Geldof. What's he doing? He's gathering every fucking rock show in the world. A billion people can watch this concert. Well, Queen's never played in front of that many people before, but we should before we go. Can you look at yourself in the mirror and say, we didn't play Live Aid because we were afraid Freddie couldn't sing? No, we're going to fucking do Live Aid. What do they do? Live Aid. 25 minutes here in this movie is just Live Aid. Literally, they recreate the entire Live Aid concert, and it's awesome. That's true. Because it's Live Aid. Right. And it's Queen. And... 
Every time they're singing, every time Rami Malek is doing his thing, every time the band that's cast because they look exactly like the band that was Queen, mm. like pretends to be playing instruments, it's awesome. <laughs> so, so again, that that's that's uh, Mark Bernardin doing a uh, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody in one minute on uh, Fat Man Beyond with uh, with Kevin Smith. So, um, and uh, I am triggered a little bit off that. To borrow a line from you, good sir. Yes. It's not wrong. <laughs> it's not wrong. Yeah, and, uh, and and that's what I shared with my listeners last week. It's like there's a lot I don't agree with. There's there's a lot that I do agree with. But yeah, just about a lot of the criticism there. And and actually, that's I mean, yeah, as you said, he's uh he's not wrong. So let's um I don't know. I guess let's let's start. Kind of at at the beginning, which I guess is a a logical, uh, as logical a standpoint as any. Um, So this, uh, let's go even way back. This movie was originally going to be something else entirely. This uh, this, uh, 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 Queen biopic has been in development hell for, uh, what, close to a decade? About that, and it really depends on who you want to listen to, uh, as our great mentor Bob Rivers taught us. There's one side, there's the other side, somewhere in the middle is the truth. Mm-hmm. I know where you're going with this probably is mm-hmm. uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, who was slated to play Freddie Mercury initially before uh, things got heated on set, right. and he was ousted, or he left, again, whoever you want to listen to. Yeah, depending Apparently, on who there was, <laughs> Yeah, and we all know my feelings on Sasha Baron Cohen uh, over the last couple podcasts I was on. He shit and doesn't deserve uh, to walk the shirt, in my opinion, but... Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> wow, hot takes are hot, and and you know what, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to get a lot of that, just a lot of scalding hot takes. So that's uh, um, so yeah, so you're not a fan of Sasha Baron Cohen, but one thing that I I thought was interesting, now that the movie is out there and you know it's a thing that's happened, one of the things that I've seen come to light is basically that the version that Sasha Baron Cohen wanted to do was kind of more uh, gritty and, you know, possibly true to life. Whereas I yeah, think... He wanted R-rated Freddie Mercury going to sex clubs, having gay sex, showing the debauchery that he that he lived, his lifestyle that he lived outside of the band. Right. From my understanding. That Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously this isn't that movie. And basically... Uh, uh, th- the band is heavily involved with the production of Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Roger Taylor, Brian May, uh, Jim Beach. I mean, they're they're all credited as executive producers, and you know, I mean, and they kind of put that up front that this is a Queen biopic, not necessarily specifically a Freddie Mercury biopic. Um, you know, it's it's a movie about the band and i think it but freddie's featured as he was as he's the lead singer he was the face of the band realistically yeah Yeah. and and everybody's cool with that because i mean and that's really you know where where uh roger and brian were at is they really kind of wanted to protect freddie's legacy and so so that's so it went back into development hell and you know uh hop skip and a jump i don't know the entirety of the the production but we get towards uh the movie that we got and um 
I, I guess from there, um, I mean, I, I don't want to necessarily get into the Brian Singer stuff too much because it's still credited as directed by Brian Singer, you know, of uh, X Men and you know, Usual Suspects fame, um, who's you know had some. Uh, uh, troubles uh, recently, you know, maybe some uh, uh, Me Too before it was Me Too type of type of things. Yep. But what had happened was he he signed on to direct. Uh, I want to say did like two thirds of the movie, and then basically just kind of ghosted from the production. Um, I I read and heard that uh, apparently like his mother was in bad health, and that's what a lot of his absences ended up being. But mm-hmm. regardless he wasn't there on set so uh you know he was essentially fired from the production and they finished the movie without him but because of like you know union stuff uh with uh with the director's guild you know he still is credited as the director of this movie not all that dissimilar to the way that Zack Snyder is credited as the director of Justice League even though right. you know Joss Whedon is, mm-hmm. exactly so so, and and that's that's another you know it depends upon who you ask uh, type of story, and you know you see a lot of his uh, touch in this. I mean, I, I it has kind of like the um, especially in the Live Aid stuff, which was actually like uh, uh, the first thing that they filmed. Um, yep. And it has that, you know, kind of sweeping, epic, uh, you know, Brian Singer-ish uh, um, uh, thing to it, which which I thought was uh, uh, really good. And, you know, and, and actually, I guess before I get too terribly far, because, I mean, you, you gave, uh, you know, some early opinions and hot takes. Um, I haven't had the opportunity, given myself the opportunity to say how I felt about the movie. I, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, my wife and I saw it together and Lucky and I were talking on the drive home and we both just really liked it. And I, I, my knowledge of the Queen canon, you know, whether it's the uh, discography or the history or any of that is very, really very shallow. Um, so as after we had watched the movie, you know, she turns to me and asks, she's like, so how much of that actually happened? And I'm like, you know, that's a really good question. I mean, I would presume a good chunk of it, but I would imagine Probably not the way that we saw it. I take a beat. Not, not at all. <laughs> and but my takeaway, I, I have two major takeaways on that. One, I don't care because yeah. I enjoyed <laughs> the movie on its merit and on its face. And two, which is some material that we'll get into uh, as the conversation goes, it inspired me to do research and to learn more. Um, because, um, you know, I mean, the, this is pretty much by the numbers, bread and butter, uh, biopic type of stuff. Um, and, you know, with other biopics I've seen, whether it was, you know, uh, Walk the Line about Johnny Cash or Ray about, you know, Ray Charles, you know, I've always felt that spark of inspiration to go, uh, you know, figure out where the incongruities with the movie are and and really kind of, you know, get more immersed into their music. And I, I kind of found the same thing here with Queen. I mean, I've always liked Queen, but as, as I've said, and maybe I'm repeating myself, but I've never really considered myself like a huge lifelong capital F 
fan. You know, um, so so that that's kind of where I'm at. I I uh, I really like the movie, and I would uh, I would stand and defend a good chunk of the choices that were made, um, even though there's a lot of criticism uh, related to uh, some of those choices. So yeah, it feels like there was some time loops that were uh, taking liberties with, like. I mean, stuff as small as when We Will Rock You was being recorded. Freddie didn't have the mustache at the time. It was done in 76. They were doing it around 80 in the movie. Uh, stuff like that, it, I've seen being bashed and being thrown into the ground. It's like, you know what? It, was, it, it worked for the movie. We, as fans, know what the history is. We know. Right. It was a great movie. <laughs> it was well put together. Yeah, I, I thought the montages were campy as fuck. I'm not going to lie. That's the part I probably hated the most. Okay. The, the musical montages where they're, they have the sweeping cities that they're in. And, and actually, there was one that really pissed me off after I found out that one of my favorite songs that hasn't been played much on the radio, uh, 39, which is on the uh, A Night at the Opera album, uh-huh. that was cut from the scene. Uh, or cut from the movie because of some reason, like they didn't have the time for it or something. It was supposed to be like their Japan yeah. uh, tour. They're supposed to put in a uh, scene highlighting the song 39 mm-hmm. in there, but they didn't do it. Yeah. That really pissed me, pisses me off hearing about that. <laughs>
uh, could you could you talk about that song a little bit? Because I, I, mean, I, I it's, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a song that is um, it's basically about a guy or a alien, I guess you could call mm-hmm. him. Uh, basically, alien goes out into space, thinks he's only gone for a year, comes back, finds out it's a lot longer than that, and right. it, it's just a song about that. It's a beautifully made song. It uh, shows Freddie's octave range very well, uh, both live and on the album version. So uh, it's one of my favorite songs that isn't played much, actually really at all on the radio. Right. So I, in my research, I found out that that, that number was cut. And from what I understand, it's mostly for time. Um, yeah, that's but, the only reason. <laughs> but, but there was also like some uh, uh, foreshadowing aspect of it too because uh i i don't remember it off the top of my head but it's like the way that they've performed it um in the mm-hmm. time that since freddie has passed and yep. and because uh, brian brian may wrote the song he, he's technically credited with writing the song but freddie always sang it because he had the voice for it mm-hmm. and since, of course obviously since freddie has passed performed it in numerous outlets either on his own uh doing like his own shows doing an like best of albums, Brian can sing it. Of course, Freddie's much better at it because he's Freddie. <laughs> right. Not to say that Brian May has a bad voice. Brian May has a great voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in fact, they all do. But um, but it's just Freddie has that octave range that can give that song justice. Totally. And um, so yeah, I mean, I guess I guess while we're while we're on that tip uh, for a second, let's let's talk about some of the other stuff that that uh, didn't make it into the movie that that was uh, filmed. Uh, but for, you know, mostly time, because actually um, one of the things uh, to say up front is that this movie is two hours and 15 minutes. It is a long movie. I feel that it breezes by very quickly. Um, oh, it does. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, because there's a lot of like, uh, you know, I, I loves me them comic book movies and them Marvel movies. But, you know, once you start going past, uh, you know, a- anything north of like two hours and 20 minutes, I start getting really fidgety. Even if it's a movie that I'm like, you know, super into there, mm-hmm. there's just, you know, it's just like my body clock, I guess. And I was not getting fidgety through this. I, I was invested from front to back. So, um, with the well, for me, the biggest omission after hearing about it, and uh-huh. I don't know why it would have been, especially with as little time as supposedly the scene was, why not put in how he wrote Crazy Little Thing Called Love? Yeah. Why would you not put that in this movie? Because that is one of the his biggest songs that he wrote himself. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you have, if you read much about the scene, but apparently him, the way that it really happened, he was in his bathtub, he was just grabbed his guitar, started strumming the the, the beat that we all know. That then 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 Shakes all like jelly, please you gotta like 
interesting about that also is that that uh that was cut out of the live aid performance at the end oh yeah oh no I, yeah i wanted to get into that much more later because okay, uh, we'll, we'll that, come back to that yeah 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 my, my whole i have a whole thing about that okay <laughs> all right very good uh, another thing that was kind of left out or told differently is really kind of the beginning of the band because you know mm-hmm. how it's presented in the movie is that you know Freddie goes to a club and you know he watches this band smile and mm-hmm. and, and then they basically uh, their lead singer bolts and it's like well you need somebody new and thus Queen is born apparently it didn't happen like that at all oh um, not even close they were all friends beforehand uh, Brian Roger uh, Freddie and then uh, Tim the the lead singer is fine all the time and mm-hmm. Tim even suggested Freddie take over for him at one point because he showed his range and showed his octaves and yeah it happened way different but again this was the biggest thing that I remember telling you I was worried about when we teased this episode was I wonder how much they're going to Hollywood up for whatever the story is. They yeah. did take a lot of liberties here. Don't get me wrong. I think it worked though. And it's yeah. not a popular opinion I've noticed, but it worked. I agree because like at the end of the day, you st- it, it's still a movie and you still have to tell a story. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of corners bit getting cut. There's a lot of shortcuts being taken, you know, uh, you know, obviously the our, time our, loops. <laughs> and, and the time loops and the montages and things like that. There's a lot of history and ground to cover. And I think it does that in a very uh, palatable kind of way. And it makes it an enjoyable movie. And really, quite frankly, with uh, um, now there's a difference between, say, documentary films and biopic movies. Mm-hmm. This is a biopic movie in that it yeah. still has to, you know, conform to 
uh, it has to be narratively interesting. And in, in and I think this is one of the, the most vivid examples that we'll talk about of where the real story is not necessarily as interesting as the way it's portrayed on the film. Plus, we got to get to making Queen. You know, we, we yeah. you don't need a scene of, you know, uh, 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 Freddie interacting with Tim Staffel. You know, it's like it doesn't matter that they uh, knew each other previously and it's presented differently in the movie because movie. And See, I, for me, though, and here's where my probably my biggest hot take coming out of this. I'm going to throw this out there early. Sure. I could have used a little more early Freddie, like Freddie being picked on as a kid a little bit, kind of like develop, even if it's just like oh. a couple of scenes as he's coming up, like he's very young, like seven, eight years old, get made fun of for his teeth, 15, 16, yeah. start finding himself a little bit more, but still that awkward, shy Farouk Balzara that, that doesn't have any clue what's going to happen in the future. Because that the whole teeth thing, he was picked on for years. He was called Bucky mm-hmm. throughout his life. And then he got, gets into Heathrow Airport where we pick up his story as he's a baggage handler. I, I could use a little more before the baggage handler, for, personally. I, I think we you. could use a little more to develop that character just that much more to find out where he actually came from. Yeah, you know, I, I can't disagree with that. Um, and, and again, uh, unfortunately, it's not a straight up documentary. You know, and, right. and it's not a Freddie biopic; it's a Queen biopic. Exactly. I, I, I get that, but I still think it could have worked in those parameters because yeah. it was mostly centralized around Freddie. It was a Queen biopic, but it was centralized around Freddie as it should have been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could have used a couple scenes at the beginning, in my opinion. Yeah, and and uh, it, it was. It was kind of interesting. One of the one of the omissions that I didn't I didn't even pick up on this until after I started researching on it is because uh, the basis doesn't get any uh, any respect. That's exactly. why. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing that you read my mind on that. But I tell I tell you what though that that is one of the best lines in the movie. After you know uh, uh, Brian and Roger decide that they're going to take Freddie on and they're going to do all this, he's mm-hmm. walking away and it's like, oh hey Freddie, do you? Uh, uh, do you play bass? Nope. <laughs> and I just and, and that and that got a lot of chuckles in uh, in my screening. Um, so and then all of a sudden, now nowhere, John Deacon's there. <laughs> <laughs> and and apparently, uh, again, cutting stuff for time. They filmed the scene where they did. The, and and so yeah, you know he's working as an electrician, and you know he, you know they they filmed this whole sequence. I um and and again maybe I'm getting um ahead of myself, but I I'm really excited to see what they put out on home video because I oh, would same. now <laughs> I would not imagine that any of this stuff is going to get reincorporated into the movie. I don't think there's going to be that. But I think I think that a lot of these scenes that that we're talking about, you know, um, you know, I I, I could yeah, see that a DC movie. You're not going to throw 30 minutes in just because for a director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I mean, I mean, especially the stuff that they already filmed, whether it's the John mm. Deacon stuff or the crazy little thing called love stuff. Um, 
or even, you know, kind of uh, getting into uh, there, there was a lot more uh, Freddie and Mary stuff, you know, and talking yeah. about like the origin of Queen's logo and how it includes all their their uh, Zodiac signs. I mean, you get you get a little bit of it seeing it in his sketchbook. But and and for a, a I'll let you know, you wouldn't have known that the two lions, the crab and the and and the two fairies were supposed to be their zodiac signs unless you already knew that again that's something that could have been kept in where some of those montages possibly could have been pushed out a little more maybe and i think that's one of those things that that you can cut it both ways because um i i again i did not know that until i started researching it but i would imagine that you as a fan when you see it Mm -hmm. it's like oh there's the thing you know it's kind of like you know when you throw um an easter egg in a comic book movie it's like oh i know who that is you know that there was easter eggs in this movie i mean the the girls on the bike on the stationary bikes in one of freddie's uh freddie's parties the bicycle race uh called called to i mean there's a few of them in there (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, i I chuckled that and a couple other people in in my screening chuckled that but it's like people don't get that yeah <laughs> well actually wait a second. could you expand on that a little bit are, are you saying that like they were just laughing at the fact that it's you know scantily clad girls riding a stationary bike and not picking up on the fact that it's a fat bomb girls reference or no no i i, I think a couple of us got the fat bottom girls bicycle race reference but I, oh, okay. I, a lot of people it was mostly silent and like I said, a couple of us chuckle we're like that's good i like that and it's like <laughs> oh people don't get it Damn it! <laughs> gotcha. So, um, one one of the other uh, Easter eggs, and th- this one, this one kind of blew my hair back. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, uh, did you know that Adam Lambert is in this movie? Yes, I did. Yeah, and I, I did see that. I, uh, I I didn't know it was him at first, but upon my research, yeah, it's like, oh crap! Yeah, Holy so shit, that so, is him. So, <laughs> and you know what? I it's it's one of those things where like you sit, you you cock an eyebrow and kind of crane your neck a little bit and then it, and then you think about it for another quarter second and it's like that checks out that's yep that's kind of okay actually you know in his uh you know role as a as a uh a greasily uh truck driver that that catches young freddie's yep. eye as he's you know talking to mary on a on a uh, payphone as he goes into a really gross look in a <laughs> truck stop bathroom and you know and so there's the implication there that that's maybe like kind of like the the uh uh spark or origin of mm-hmm. you know him kind of trying Trying to reconcile where it and, and again, some of the stuff wrestle with himself basically, and then find out who he really is because he knows he knows he has this feeling. Right, he doesn't know what it is yet. Exactly, and I thought me personally, I I thought that that was handled quite well, and in yes. in a way that was again uh, palatable for uh, PG thirteen audiences. Um, and, and actually, you know, I, I want to dip into a tangent for just a sec, um, with regards to, uh, the rating and stuff, because I like that this is a PG 13 movie. I like Mm -hmm. that it's something to where an expanded audience can see it. And, you know, I, I I think this is a movie for teenagers. I think it's totally appropriate for teenagers. And if it makes me more appreciative that we didn't get Borat Mercury. 
and his debauchery and his, and his going to sex clubs and stuff. I mean, yeah, he went to a sex club, but it wasn't like in your face. Like, yeah. It was just Freddie slow motion walking through as another montage is going on. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and while we're on this tangent, sure. I, I was going to bring this up later, but while we're here, I'm in Arizona, very conservative state, very Republican state. Sure. Um, there was actually audible grasp and even a little groan when Freddie would kiss another man. Oh, sure. And I thought we were past that. And if anyone's going into this movie who even knows that even a microcosm of Freddie Mercury's past, they should know already what they're getting into here. Right. The fact that that still happened, it's like, really? You you know who you're coming to see, right? right. <laughs> this is not... This is not uh, sex star Brett Michaels over here who's kissing women. <laughs> this is Freddie Mercury, and uh, known at least bisexual, if not fully gay man, right. and his story. What are you expecting here? <laughs> yeah, and and again, I I appreciated the way that it was handled um, mm-hmm. because I I don't I mean so what one of the criticisms. Uh, from, you know, whether it's critics or fans or whoever, one of the overarching criticisms of this movie is that it's quote-unquote sanitized. And to that I say... Well, yeah, but what do you want? I mean, do you, I mean we, we've you know kind of belabored the point at this point, but I mean, I mean there 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 are scenes where you see drugs on a table. He's not actively yeah. doing the drugs, but I mean, I guess I mean not to the be, implications there. Yeah, I mean, and and you can figure it out if you if you got half a brain in your head, you can you can see the implications because it's not subtle. I mean, I mean, yeah. none of the implications are subtle and. And I, I'm frustrated. The people that say that it's sanitized, it's like, what do you want? Do you want to see him doing lines of blow and having graphic gay sex? I mean, because I don't, I don't understand why that needs to be a part of a movie that celebrates this band and Freddie Mercury as a personality. I think the uh, the best way, th- I mean, the movie actually makes a case for itself within its own narrative uh, during the press conference scene. You know, oh, where, yes. where, I mean, to me, I think that's, that, that's the movie explaining itself. It's like you just have Brian sitting there. Does anybody want to talk about the CD? Does anybody want to talk about the album? Yeah, and and and, it, and it's a great scene. And and you flip it on its ear, and it suddenly it's like, well, let's talk about you know the great stuff that's in this movie because it's it's mm-hmm. you know I had a. Uh, um, I had to yeah, the the frothy go pe- people going. Oh well, what about this gay sex thing? What do you have AIDS? Do you have this like? Do, no, we want to talk about the movie. <laughs> we want to talk about that crap right now. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and even the stuff that that you know I'm going into, it's you know just kind of like you know for uh, uh, completions' uh, sake. Um, yeah. So um, you know, I, I I guess before before we we get uh, too much further, I I do want to ask you a question that I don't know if we've related yet. I mean, you've um, okay. you've obviously put uh, your stamp of approval on the front end, saying that you know go see this movie; it's a celebration of Queen, blah blah blah. But what what I would like to ask you. F- for is you know kind of to pivot off of this you know sanitation allegation and you know and all of uh all of that is who is this movie for in uh in your opinion 
I really do think it's for Queen fans, like legit Queen fans. I don't know if it's so much for the general public that doesn't know anything about the band already. I, I it's not really a teaching tool. Like he wouldn't go sit. Like I wouldn't sit my son who doesn't know as much as I do about Queen, just knows the music. I wouldn't sit my son and say, "Here's what actually happened. Watch this." That that's not who it's for. It's for people who already know the the story, knows what's happened, and they want something to celebrate them getting together, that the band, all these personalities coming together because all four of them had their own distinct personalities. Right. That's what made that band so amazing the way it was. It was the way they all were. They wouldn't have worked if they all went to separate bands, I don't think, in the capacities they were in. Interesting. I... Uh... Um, you, you raise up a really good point. Uh, where I sit on it is I I do feel that this is a ba- a, a movie for civilians, you know, for yeah. people to you know experience and and celebrate the story and the music of Queen. I I, I want to read you the uh, synopsis that the that the studio put out. Um, okay. so so it reads: uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is a foot stomping celebration of Queen, their music, and their extraordinary lead singer Freddie Mercury, who defied stereotypes and shattered convention to become one of the most beloved entertainers on the planet. The film traces the meteoric rise of the band through their iconic songs and revolutionary Revolutionary sound, their near implosion as Mercury's lifestyle spirals out of control, and their triumphant return on the uh, on I'm sorry, triumphant reunion on the eve of Live Aid, where Mercury facing a life-threatening illness uh, leads the band into one of the greatest performances in the history of rock music. This is a very long synopsis. Uh, in the okay, that synopsis had me up until the turmoil part. Yeah, and uh, it continues and says, in the process, cementing the legacy of a band that were always more like a family and who continued to inspire outsiders, <laughs> dreamers, and music lovers to this day. You're laughing. Hel- explain. <laughs> so, you you admittedly are not a queen like geek like I am. At Correct. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people listening probably aren't either not to the level that some of us are okay um so queen is an ever-evolving formation of these four people basically they were always breaking up and 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 by the term breaking up i use that very loosely because roger taylor would go off and do a solo album right brian may would go off and do a solo album john deacon fucking bassist will go and do a solo (laughs) album freddie would do his solo albums i mean they, they were all doing their own things whilst still under the umbrella of Queen, but they kept everything separate. There was no breakup before Live Aid. There was no, oh, there was no, that that whole thing, that whole, uh, what's the name, Paul? uh, Oh, uh, gosh, hang on. None of that happened the way that they portrayed in the film. And that's one of the liberties I didn't like that they took. I understand why they did it. Because there was a lot of issues with where they were touring at the time. They just uh, finished uh, an album called The Works. They mm-hmm. were out doing their tours from 83, or sorry, 84 to 85, uh, promoting that album. Some of the places they went, they weren't supposed to. They weren't supposed to go to South Africa because of a party going on down there. Right. There's a lot of other places they went to that they got actually fined for going to, but they went and played them anyways. Right. They actually played the week before Live Aid. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, they literally it, it, played a week before Live Aid. <laughs> So this, this whole this whole idea of the band coming back together and for one last hurrah at Live Aid, no, 
they, they toured for years after that. Yeah, I mean, in fact, they they were they were on a tour like like you know the, the year leading up to Live Aid, and as mm-hmm. you said, they had played a show like the week before or something like that. But 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 again, as I said, you you kind of need that that narrative W, right? You know, you need the ups mm-hmm. and downs to to make it a movie. A documentary yeah. film about the life and times of Queen would be quite different. Now, ironically mm-hmm. enough, now that. As a casual fan, now that I've seen this, I really want to see a full-scale documentary film done like this. I mean, because you know, one of the yeah. one of the criticisms is that you know, again, it's very sanitized, it's very uh, softball, and I feel also even even for my like of this movie. It is overly simplistic in times in like the choices it makes. You know, it makes this, uh, you know, it makes this guy Paul Printer into um, into a villain basically because the yeah. movie needs a villain. You know, and and I don't know if this guy is a real guy or if any of that um, actually. Paul Printer was a real guy. Um, he was the assistant to the the um, what's his name. Oh my God! I'm drawing a blank. Jim Beach, uh, the first promoter. The, no, the first promoter before Jim Beach took over. Oh um, yeah. Sorry, I- sorry, Miami Beach. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, he was the he was the um, the assistant to him. Him and Freddie did get together uh, after uh, him and Mary split up. They did fire him unceremoniously. I guess it was a pretty volatile situation. Uh, some of the actions in the movie may have been true. Like he was a uh, both Brian May and, John, and Roger Taylor both came out and said that Paul Printer was basically a bad influence on Freddie. He was kind mm-hmm. of a bad influence on the band. Yeah. Telling him to make decisions he shouldn't have, stuff like that. But the way that it happened, like, he did not tell Freddie about Live Aid. He did not do all this stuff. Yeah. The, the most, that I, the story that I've always heard and the most consistent one through all the biographies and autobiographies that have come out is Paul Printer threw a party at Freddie's place while he was out touring. Freddie come back, saw it. He goes, yeah, this can't happen anymore. You're fired. Oh, <laughs> see, and again, that, so that's... Not, not as, not as ceremonial, not as like, um, riveting or dramatic as the movie would have you take. But, uh, but yeah, they had their issues with them. Yeah. Okay. And, and again, as, as we talked about before, is kind of like an overarching umbrella, you know, sometimes the reality of the situation is just not as interesting as as a movie and Mm -hmm. so i mean i i don't know i mean to i i would imagine that that would probably be the most egregious uh turn that the that the movie takes narratively compared to reality because the other stuff you know is kind of like shuffling around with the timeline you know it's like Mm -hmm. you know doing we will rock you in 1980 as opposed to 1976 Mm -hmm. but but curiously about that they did perform that song at madison square garden in 1980 so it still kind of like reconciles in its own weird kind of way but uh it was there yeah uh but you brought up that you weren't even sure if paul printer was a real person there was only one person that was made up for this film can you guess who it was? Yeah, I. Uh, um, okay, so I guess we have to talk about this now. Okay, so, um, so Mike Myers is in this movie, and um, he has this is probably my favorite Easter egg, by the way. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Yeah. So, um, uh, by the tone of my voice, I think we're maybe gonna gonna divide just a little bit because it's like it. it's um, it's a cool sequence. 
for me up until it isn't because it's like you have that realization where all you're doing is setting up a Wayne's World joke. And I thought See, that's, that's what I loved about it. <laughs> okay, all right. I and 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 I and honestly, Dave, I found myself wrestling with it because first of all, okay, let, let me. Uh, so let's set up the scene a little bit. You know, the band okay. is in you know this record exec's office. Uh, I did, <laughs> and and this character is completely made up, right? Not a real person. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the the gen, general feeling amongst the people that have seen the movie is this is like a combination of various records in the torture that didn't want Bohemian and Rhapsody to be their lead single and didn't okay. think it would succeed. So it's basically a conglomeration of a bunch of people. Right, right. Okay. And so... Going into this, I I knew that Mike Myers had a cameo, but I didn't know it was as the, as this character. So just you know, full disclosure for my for my theater going experience. Um, but I I didn't recognize it was him at first. It took a quarter second, and that's what I'm getting to. Oh, okay. I I've developed Mike Myers radar to where whenever mm. whenever I see somebody that doesn't look quite right. You know, that doesn't, I mean, there's something off, something off. Mm. And, and a question I ask myself every time I see somebody that doesn't look quite right, that isn't an outright computer generated CGI character, I ask myself, is that Mike Myers under a, a couple pounds of makeup there? Because, I mean, uh, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but like they, they did this uh, uh, redo, uh, reboot, revival of the gong show a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And basically yeah. what it was is, you know, ABC and Mike Myers thought they were being cheeky funny. And basically the host is Mike Myers in a fat suit in like a couple pounds of latex putty and colored contacts and basically they they created this alternate character where um you know and and it wasn't until the show had been on for a while where they where ABC finally came out and admitted yeah that's Mike Myers so oh, wow. so from that going <sighs> forward um and I you know I'm a huge fan of the the We Hate Movies podcast and they just recently did an episode about uh, the Cat in a Hat uh, talking about that mm-hmm. Mike Myers movie so anyway so I have like this attuned uh is you know that person doesn't look quite right I think that's Mike Myers under a bunch of makeup and then <laughs> so what happened was though is it threw me out of the movie. You know, it's almost oh. like when when you have like uh you know like a a cameo that's so stunty that that it throws you out of the movie and that's that's kind of the experience I had and but yet when it when it revolves back around to you know where he gives the line about you know kids aren't going to be you know cranking this up and banging their heads to this mm-hmm. um I uh I I was at the time I chuckled and I was like, okay, it was worth it. I'll allow it. I, I I'm on this new kick where, like, if something kind of like passes my standard, I'll kind of you know huff and I'll be like, I'll allow it. And so I <laughs> I, 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 I I did wanna did one of those for that. And but but as I got further away from the movie and the more I thought about it, the less I liked it because it mm. it really does. You know, in in retrospect, again, this was not at first blush. At first blush, I chuckled and thought it was cool. But the more I reflected on it, I felt like it was really gratuitous. And I, I, 
parallel to that, I also landed on uh, Mike Myers has fallen so far that I don't think he's even capable of acting unless he's under like 10 pounds of makeup anymore. I, 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 I would have liked it better if he just came out and was like, you know, throw some sideburns on him or something. You know, I mean, instead of yeah. him inhabiting this entire other character, I thought it was it was very kind of like Eddie Murphy ish, uh, you know, nutty professor type of thing. Um, but but I, I'm going to okay. sh- I'm going to shut up about that. Your mileage obviously varies. Uh, um, why, why don't you why don't you talk about your impressions of that of that cameo? So for that, um, I, like you, I chuckled. I actually laughed a little bit more than I thought I was going to at that time. Uh, to me, and this is where my logic after thinking about it, because I thought about it too afterwards and even uh, during my research leading up to this podcast, I think it's more of Brian May, Roger Taylor, acknowledging that Mike Myers in the Wayne's World movie brought Queen back from the dead to a point. Because with remember, Bohemian Rhapsody shot to the top of the charts again right after Wayne's World came out because right. of that scene in the car. True, I think that was kind of like a kind of like a uh, a thank you to Mike Myers for that, and we'll, we'll put you in the movie and we'll we'll throw these little jokes in there, but we'll throw you in the movie as a thank you type thing. That's what I that's what I got out of, the, of it. I mean. We, hell, we might be both looking too far into this yeah. because it's a fucking Mike Myers character, to be honest. <laughs> but still, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but that, that was my impression of it. It was more of like a thank you to Mike Myers for resurrecting Bohemian Rhapsody, bringing it to a new audience. A lot of kids who hadn't heard that before. Uh, I, right. I would, I would wager. Well, yeah, and and let's not forget that Mike Myers had to fight with the studio to yeah. get Bohem- Bohemian Rhapsody into Wayne's World to begin with, because I I think if they I, wanted uh, Guns N' Roses. That's right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I. I don't disagree with you, and and where you're standing on it now is more aligned with where I was. I think I've just had the perspective of, uh, you know, I've listened to a couple few different podcasts and other folks talking about it, and I think that's kind of wormed into my brain and just kind of, ah. you know, and just having a little distance from it, too, is kind of, it's kind of soured on me a little bit. I would be interested to see how I would feel if I um, if I saw it again, so or okay. no, I mean when I see it again because I'm yeah I, exactly I'm going to buy this uh, because I oh, same <laughs> I do want to watch it again. I do hope that there's a, a robust amount of special features, um, you know, especially those uh, deleted scenes. Um, and you know what I'd love to see uh, while we're on the topic of the eventual DVD Blu-ray release? Yeah. Uh, I would love to see them rec- uh, remaster the actual video of their live aid performance if they're able to get those uh, those rights. Yeah. That- and release that on DVD. Because I mean, I I'm sure as as everyone else has. Because I mean, you you type in. Uh, I, I've already watched it on uh, on YouTube. I actually watched it today uh, as kind of a lead up into sure. uh, to the podcast because uh, and and yeah, we'll get we'll get to the live aid scene here in a few. But um, but yeah, that it's still one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Um, I, I wish I was alive to see it live. Like I was one years old. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I was born earlier. God damn it. <laughs> too funny um so i guess um uh, before we get into live aid um uh we haven't really talked about 
the actual performances. I mean, it's like I, I know both of us were very impressed with uh, Rami Malek's performance and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the other guys in the movie as well. I mean, everybody looks like they're supposed to. I mean, everybody looks oh, like yeah. they they walked out of, you know, uh, 1980 and, you know, all, all of the, the various eras. You know, I think they did that really well with the the, the hair and wig choices. Um, I thought that was Brian May there for a second with oh, the way the hair was and his facial structure. Everything was like on point. Well, and, and I've seen a, a few of the interviews with these guys and it's like, everybody's got um, a little extra going on. I mean, aside from just the wigs and stuff, I mean, you know, the, the, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the hair and makeup department isn't up for some kind of award recognition uh, come, uh, come award season. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, speaking of awards, we'll get to one later on. Oh, have a, little, have, a, have a little breaking news that came out today. So that was a tease. <laughs> um, it was, but yeah, but, so, uh, Go but ahead. yeah, no, everybody was on point. Everybody now. Uh, uh, I don't know if you're going to be going this direction, mm-hmm. but do you know? Do you, you know Remy Malik? I saw an interview with him uh, today in my research. Uh, I believe it was either Jimmy Fallon or uh, one, it was one of the Jimmys. Okay, <laughs> <Either> Kim <laughs> or Fallon. Sure. Um, but uh, he was talking about the process he had to do to um, to audition for the part. Oh. He basically had to do a video of him uh, in a studio recording a song. Uh, and he would send it to uh, Brian May, Roger Taylor. So I guess the first time he met them, he went to their house. He was under the assumption that he, uh, that they already watched this video that they had in their mind what they were going to do. They're like, yeah, well, we couldn't download the video. Uh, do you have a copy of the CD on you? And he goes, yeah. And he's like, okay, let's just watch that. So huh. he's sitting there with Brian May, Roger Taylor, for the first time seeing Rami Malek sing the songs that they asked him to sing to audition oh for this part. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's... Yeah, I, I could not imagine the nerves that would have been going through my my body if if I knew that, that was the first time they were watching me sing. Right. Like, not unlike what the scene in uh, in uh, outside in the car was when Remy Malek's Freddie Mercury character first sang for them the first time. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I couldn't believe that. So I mean, so. This isn't A Star is Born, so it's not like, no. you know, Rami Malek learned all of the songs and trained with a vocal co- coach for two years or whatever uh, Bradley Cooper was up to and all of that. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't think anybody is actually playing or singing uh, during the musical numbers. Is, 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 do, do I understand that correctly? That's my understanding of it, too. Yeah, everything was uh, piped in, pre-recorded. Um oh. Ironically, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, realistically, that's that's a huge irony on this whole movie. But <laughs> yeah, and well, you know what? I I think it's better for it because it you know because uh, again we keep flirting about uh, uh, talking about Live Aid, but like one of the things that I liked is that they're you know they're they're using remastered audio of that and you know and you can hear it in you know the inflection of some of the lyrics it's like wait a minute i mm-hmm. recognize that as that version not necessarily as the you know studio version for for example yeah. so so I, I i thought that was really cool and they really sell it and i mean i i tell you what i mean uh rami malik just just nailed it I I think I think oh, I think he's magnificent in this and I uh I posted recently it was it was in response to somebody uh just uh, uh I think it was just like what I thought about it and I'm like you know 
it felt like you know watch, watching his performance Rami Malek's that is it felt like Freddie was back with us for just a little while you know it, yeah. it it really was that and and he worked hard on it i mean you know i'm sure you had mentioned you had you had watched uh, you know several interviews and some uh uh things where i'm sure he talked about you know he w- he was training with a choreographer and a motion coach and all this other stuff to make sure that he nailed uh the mannerisms and he did so in a way that didn't um i mean he he's doing the right moves and all that but it doesn't it doesn't feel like he's doing a choreographed number i mean it feels like it still has the electricity and spontaneity as it did watching freddie perform and mm-hmm. and and i thought that was uh i thought that was really great and you know having to perform uh with the prosthetics also um, oh yeah, he still has the teeth. Apparently, he showed those on uh, on the interview as well. He actually gold plated <laughs> them and is keeping them as a, as a memento for the movie. Interesting. But yeah, he said it was very hard to talk, very hard to sing, very hard to do anything in those prosthetics, and he actually wore them uh, way more than he didn't because he wanted to get make sure he got like some comfort level for him as he was doing the scenes. Sure. And and I'm sure it aided in his performance also, you know, in terms of like mm-hmm. it, you know, him becoming Freddie Mercury as opposed to just, you know, performing his dialogue. I'm sure it because, uh, you know, you hear about that a lot with, you know, uh, uh, costume and, you know, uh, things like that, that, you know, a actor can really lean on to uh, fully get into character. Now, uh, mm-hmm. one one thing that was interesting, so, you know, he has uh, the teeth, but he also had some other light prosthetics that he was uh, dealing with That that that's my understanding as well. Yeah, I think it was like a nose, uh, like a little bit of a longer nose piece or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I know he has the, uh, he even talked about having a very comparable jawline to Freddy, mm-hmm. uh, like the bottom, the bottom part of the jaw, just the teeth, of course. Nobody was more with those teeth except for uh, Bruce Balzera, uh, a.k.a. Freddie Mercury. Well, I mean, that's what gave him that octave range, yeah, too, yeah, yeah. That, the extra teeth. So that, that that's what made him what he, uh, the amazing singer that he became. Sure, absolutely. But uh, but one thing that the, uh, the makeup department didn't do was, you know, Rami Malek has very light-colored eyes. And whereas mm-hmm. whereas Freddie Mercury's were very very dark brown, and yes. you know so so they didn't do contacts, they didn't do CGI, they just let it be, and I you know and again not really paying attention at first you know I'm just like oh yeah so you know whatever th- this is fine you know I'm just lost in watching the performance. It wasn't until I researched mm-hmm. later, and even then reflecting on it, I'm okay with that because it it's maybe like one teeny tiny thing where it it prevents the performance from being like a full-on impersonation you know it's like yeah. there there's still like a little bit of the actor still in there and quite frankly um with the way like a lot of the the way the sets were lit and the staging on it there's a lot of times where the light catches Rami Malek's eyes uh, very vividly. I mean, they they pop very much, and especially like in a lot of <laughs> the montagey stuff. But you know, yeah. like playing those shows, like you know, he's coming out and he's got like you know, just like these piercing light eyes, and 
I think that that's actually a better artistic choice because it looked cool. Because, again, this is a movie and it looked mm-hmm. very cinematic with the the way like, uh, you know, his eyes would just stand out and be so piercing. And I think if they put doofy uh, uh, brown contacts in, I think you would have lost a lot of it. I uh, I'm. <laughs> I'm a I'm not a fan of fake contacts. Like I I remember like they did like that Fantastic Four movie and they and poor Jessica Alba. I feel so bad. I mean like you know she is she is a lovely Latina person that they threw a blonde wig and and cobalt blue contacts in and it's just yep. like it's like what are you doing and it's just so and and i think it would have been like that if like you know in some of those things where he would be in close-up and if you could see like these cartoony looking brown contacts i think um i think it would just snap you right out of the movie i think it i think it would have broken the Mm -hmm. illusion what what do you think it would have i I think it would have too and I, i honestly we're getting down to the eye color to me that's getting like too nitpicky in my opinion yeah we want authenticity to a point yeah, he 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 had the look. Everybody in the theater. That's the one thing I noticed. The few people that were whispering, I can't believe how much it looks like Freddie. That's Freddie right there. I exactly. can't believe how much it looks like that. He he sounds like that. He moves like he does this. If you really want to get that nitpicky, where you're looking at his eyes, <laughs> this isn't the movie for you. <laughs> well, okay. Well, but let me ask you this though, because I mean, again, I I would imagine that being a lifelong fan, you're you're probably associated with fans and you know maybe have like friends that are other fans or anything like that or at least have mm-hmm. some kind of uh, connection to the community am i incorrect in thinking that people in the in the fan community are getting this nitpicky and this is kind of the stuff that they're kind of mad about if they are i haven't seen it okay. uh, specifically about this it's more the time loops and uh and the stuff like that and the the deliveries it took like with like we talked about earlier with Paul, uh, Paul Painter or stuff like that. Okay. Not, I haven't really seen anything about the the eyes. Everyone said he was a de- dead ringer. That is, he's a dead ringer for Freddie. Okay. Very good. That's, uh, um, yeah, you know, and, and the only other thing I had in my notes uh, was, uh, you know, getting back to deleted scenes. There, there apparently was more footage shot uh, for the for the mine shaft sequence where he's, you know, going through, yep. you know, gay clubs and all that stuff. I would imagine that a lot of that got cut either for content or rating, or mm. m- probably just time because uh, again, probably a combination of time and uh, and t- and content. I would say because I mean, like like they've been saying all along, this is not the movie they want for that. This right. is not what they're going for. They're not going for his debauchery. They're not going for his personal life. They're going for Queen. Exactly. And, and, and the rise. Exactly. So, um, uh, so... I did want to touch on one other part before we get to Live Aid. Okay. Um, and this is where my production gig came out in me because I was just giddy like a schoolgirl watching the scene where they're, where they're recording Bohemian Rhapsody and the Galileos <laughs> and, and the layering and the, the operatic segment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk about that because... Um, so, 
So full disclosure, before we get too much further, I mentioned this at the top. You know, Dave and I went to Green River College together. We were on KGRG radio together. And one of the uh, classes that that Dave and I were in was this uh, production class. Journalism 151, radio production. Learn how to use Adobe Audition. Learn how to record a vocal. Learn how to record and mix multi-track masterpieces. Take a recording of a hit record, solo the piano, the lead vocal, the guitars. Now, put it all together yourself. Learn from the legendary Bob Rivers. Head over to greenriver.edu and sign up for Journalism 151 today. And we had the opportunity to really kind of get our hands deep into uh, into the music of Queen. So, so what? <laughs> so okay. So so what? Why don't you kinda, trigger you <laughs> a little bit? A little bit. So uh, why, why don't you take it from there? And I'll uh, I'll you know we'll. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to trigger you. <laughs> oh man, they're just I, I I hear those snaps in my sleep to this day. Yeah. So uh, our our first, I believe it was our first assignment actually. To uh, our uh, the the legendary Bob Rivers was our uh, production teacher, uh, legend up in the Seattle radio area, twenty five plus years, uh, worked in Baltimore for a while. Um, he was our he was our teacher, and he thought, hey, what's a better way to uh, to teach you guys how to put something together sound wise than to take one of the biggest songs of all time and have you piece it together. <laughs> Here's killer queen, put, put it together. Here's all the stems. There's 24 individual tracks, put it together. <laughs> <laughs> so could you, could you describe what, because like somebody that's never seen music broken down into its, you know, essential pieces like that. Um, uh, yeah, maybe talk about kind of what, what music and multi-track kind of looks like. Multi-track compositions. <laughs> so <laughs> the, uh, if you've seen the movie already, you, you have noticed like there's different microphones placed throughout the studio, picking up the drums, the snare, the guitar, the bass, the vocals, multiple around the piano, one for, I believe, each drum of the drum set. Uh, so all that gets recorded into one individual line from each microphone. So we wa- we were to take 24 parts of that. It was broken down into 24 parts for Killer Queen. Um, there was, I think, three piano parts? Yes. If I recall right? At least. Uh, at least, yeah. Uh, three or four drum parts, three or four guitar parts that we had to layer. Yep. Uh, a few vocal parts, both backup and Freddie, that we had to layer. There was a fucking bell <laughs> that we couldn't get oh, volume, the volume right on. <laughs> that's that's right. And and if I remember correctly, the bell ring is in one track by itself. That's all that's it there. Is. And yep. and so basically, what we had to do is like uh, not unlike a puzzle, you you have to. Uh, sync up these individual multi-tracks so you basically have you know if you're looking on a screen you have like what you would have is like a rack and you have to rack each of your tracks and you have to not only line them up so that it sounds correct 
but you also have to uh, make sure that the the volume is at a correct level as well, uh, because like you know there there was a track that had like snaps at the beginning, like I'm gonna I'm gonna snap as far it off mic as possible. Snaps. So oh mm-hmm. yeah, that's right, it had it had too many snaps. But uh, but yeah, there there were a few things that that would peak and screw up your levels. I mean, we're really getting into the weeds on audio production, but I wanted to talk about <laughs> this because um, that we worked we on computers. The, well, yeah, that's the thing. We had computers and looked how much we struggled with it, but um, yes. it, it was really one of uh, – I, I really enjoyed that part of the movie where you're showing like the, the actual production and how the sausage gets made. And, yeah, Dave, it did kind of trigger me and kind of give me some flashbacks to where like uh, there, there's there's the, the sequence where like after they're recording all the Galileos – I mean, this is, you know, featured mm-hmm. prominently in the trigger in the trailer trigger jesus um but but it's featured in the trailer where freddie is just looking at this board with you know i would say at least a dozen or so uh, a couple dozen meters and watching mm-hmm. each individual track and that's how they would record they would have like so you know he's recording him singing galileo you know but it's not for multiple tracks it's for layering so, yeah. you know, so like, you know, they would take like, you know, 25 takes of him singing Galileo and then smash them together. And that's why it sounds so um, operatic. And, operatic. And, and, <laughs> well, that's when the operatic section comes in. Yeah. Um, but no, <laughs> but we but we had a we had a great time with this project. And and we we played around with Killer Queen for, I would say, at least half of the course, you know, at least half of that yeah. quarter in and because our our instructor uh you know uh, broadcasting legend Bob Rivers would have us do different stuff with it it would be like mm-hmm. so it's like you know make your own mix so like you would have to determine what additional effects you would want to put on it what you would want to leave out um like i, I remember you to bounce something to one side or the other which means to like make it only come out of the right speaker as opposed to the left speaker which queen fucking mastered by the way <laughs> yeah and and that was actually one of my favorite parts of the movie because like uh i i, I, I <laughs> yeah yeah so where so where and in my theater you could hear the stereo panning and it and mm-hmm. it just made he's like now, now bump that over to the left, and you hear the entire field of sound, uh, you know, transition over to. I mean, it was one of the co- coolest audio things I've heard in a movie in a while. It was something you know so subtle and so um, uh, small, but I I think it really hammered home that point to the folks watching this movie that had no idea about audio production or anything like that. It really kind of gives them an insight. But then for folks like you and I and, you know, uh, other podcasters that are listening, it, you know, it it really, or or musicians as well, um, but anybody that's had any kind of hand in audio production, there's there's a lot of buttons that, that that sequence in Bohemian Rhapsody is pressing where it's like, Oh, that that's cool how that's represented. And it it was a really fun sequence. I, I don't want to sound elitist as this is gonna sound, but I okay. felt those scenes were made for people like us that that are in the audio industry of some of some sort. I think that was for us to, to kind of geek out a little about it, honestly. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and, and if and uh, if that's if that's the case, then it did what it was to accomplish because you know, like, you know, you and I are sitting here. Mm-hmm. Hip, hip deep. I gushing mean, about it. Yeah, neck deep in the weeds, you know, gushing about how this sequence was put together. And yeah, so, you know, they're uh, a different part in the movie. They're they're uh, performing Killer Queen on the on the TV show on the BBC. And I'm just like, oh, that fucking song. Oh. I, 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 I tell you what, Dave, I when I hear that song anytime whether and and it happened to me while I was hearing it in Bohemian Rhapsody I it's when I hear it on the radio anytime where I I almost turn into like a beautiful mind for a second and I see mm-hmm. all of those multi-tracks I remember what some of the specific Same. waveforms look like I know what that vocal track looks like I know what that guitar track sounds like and it and it's maddening I I almost want to reach out to Bob you know as as he's enjoying his uh, his bees and his uh, and his uh, maple his syrup, maple syrup. <laughs> and and all of that is you know in his uh, uh, retirement life, and just say you know what, and I don't want to say the song has been ruined for me. That's not the case, but I will never listen to it the same way ever again after you yeah. know breaking it down to its most basic parts, tearing it apart, putting it back together, moving stuff around. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll just never listen to the the song the same way again. Um, I, I even remember one of our uh, classmates who was not a part of the radio program did like this crazy mix on it where, where it basically sounded like uh, Freddie was singing in the... The shower um yeah you know it's like oh, she was awesome yeah. I, I i cannot recall our last night's name but she was awesome i don't know what you're talking about yeah and, and it was she, just she should have pursued more absolutely <laughs> and so yeah it was it was cool to just see the the creativity that people did i i kind of tried to do kind of like an an acoustic kind of acoustic sounding kind of sort of stripped down coffee mm-hmm. house kind of thing i i didn't nail it the way i was hoping to i think there was, <laughs> the, yeah so uh but anyway that's it, why there's an undo button. <laughs> but but we have something that they didn't have in the 70s and 80s, an undo button. <laughs> exactly, and and you know these people are cutting tape. I mean, you know, it's like yep. it's it's not inexpensive. I mean, in fact, I think they even referenced it during that sequence. Mm, it's they like, were running out of tape. We're yeah. running out of like tape. The tape was about ready to die. Like, like him re-recording over the same parts of tape to layer it. He almost destroyed the tape. Right. So I I really enjoyed. Yeah, I went that. with I went with uh, Becky, and she's like, "That's what they had to do back then." I'm like, "Yeah, we have computers. Think about that for a second. <laughs> think about how much harder they had to do, and think of how it came out. Think of, and, and that spawned this thought of me: If Freddie Mercury were alive today, and Queen were still doing what they're doing, could you imagine the oh sounds that gosh. they would make right now? You know, I, I, oh man, I, I don't want to get myself into trouble and I don't want to get into a, uh, tangent too terribly much, but I'll flirt with it a little bit. That's what just, we do. Just kind of, I'll just kind of <laughs> glance against it. I feel that current popular music, whether it's pop or R&B, hip hop, uh, rock, whatever, I think it's all overproduced and, it it would make me it would make me sad if queen did i mean so like the first thing that that popped in my head when you said you know imagine what queen could do for some reason the first 
synapse that fired in my head was something like, say, Imagine Dragons, where it's it's oh. it's 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 garbage. It's fucking garbage music, and you know, and it. Ooh, I I I I feel I feel Uh-oh, a rant coming out. It's it's happening, but no, I mean, here we go. <laughs> um, I mean, stuff like Imagine Dragons is prog rock for babies and soccer moms, and. It's okay to like a band. I mean, I like a lot of terrible music. I like a lot of terrible movies. So so I I'm not necessarily going to hold it against you a lot, but some. Uh but no, I um <laughs> I I can't have it both ways. No, I but again, right. Imagine Dragons is garbage. And I right. and I feel that that's kind of what rock music has kind of stumbled into being and i would you can be, say the right word you can say devolved okay all right i mean that that's you can say devolved that's really the <laughs> right it word it really has um because i mean and and to kind of kind of swing that tangent a different direction i also feel that i mean like so we we talked extensively about our uh, audio production class that you know that we were involved in but the thing that my biggest takeaway from uh, doing two production courses at Green River College, you know, doing stuff for KGRG, was how not to do stuff. I mean, there, there's, I mean, so like, for example, my podcast, as a general rule, you know, it's like, I'll fire an intro, I'll talk over it, I'll talk, maybe do a little bit of volume control and light processing. But, um, and and I don't mean to throw fellow podcasters under the bus, but I feel like a lot of podcasts are over-edited, overproduced, and really kind of slip into that that Imagine Dragons type thing. I mean, it's like I've I've heard a lot of podcasts that sound slick. I mean, it's like it's like Bob Rock produced it or something like that. You know, it's just yeah. it's polished to the point where you can see the gleam on it, but that doesn't necessarily make it good. And mm-hmm. and so I mean Again, we we talked about you know being elitist and stuff. I don't consider my my show to be you know elite or especially good. I I love that people love it and I do it for the people that like it. Um, but I'm not going to say my podcast is better than yours because mine is less right. produced. But what I'm also saying though is that 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 overproduction is. Um, you know, you talked about it now. We have computers, you know, we and we have robust editing software. And mm-hmm. I think it's because we can and the and the barrier is so relatively low that since you can, you do. Meaning in terms of like, you know, uh, uh, overproduction. Um, that's, I, that's a fair take. I, I don't know where all that came from. It just I, I just I guess I wanted to cut on Imagine Dragons so much because like you know um, well, I don't blame me there. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, all right. So 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 let me get out of that. Uh, get out of that funk. Um, so, yeah, but I, I will say one other thing that I wanted to bring up. Um, there was a fun song that was mentioned quite a bit in the movie. Okay, that I wanted to see. Have you heard? I'm in love with my car. The one that Roger Taylor was being picked on mercilessly throughout the movie. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Even now, I mean, I'm sure I've heard it, but I don't really know it off the top of my head. Um, and 
you know, as much, I mean, because I've, lot, I've watched YouTube videos of the Live Aid performance at least a couple times now, um, but mm-hmm. I still haven't typed in I'm in love with my car into YouTube and watched it. So, yeah, I'm a... Uh. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm behind the times on that, but but I I really enjoyed yeah. that sequence though. I thought it was really funny. It, it really like it's a better song than it has any right to be, and they, they're right to make fun of it in the movie because it's the premise of it is just so god awful out there that it's basically he's saying that a car is better than a person. Basically, is the premise of the song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's, and, and he go, he uses some terminology, and, and they reference a few of the lyrics in there, like, uh, got a feel for my automobile, get a grip on my boy, Rachel Lar, that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, my God, where are you going, Roger? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I wasn't sure if you had heard that song or not. But, yeah, because I, I did see a lot of people saying that after they got out of the movie, they put in their copy of Night at the Opera, whether it be vinyl, CD, streaming, whatever, but... I'm wondering how many people actually heard that for the first time after seeing that scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's something I need to check into. In fact, actually, you know, um, I, I I think I'm going to have the opportunity to uh, uh, listen to it uh, uh, very shortly. I, I kind of lost my train of thought there for a sec. There, I, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, so, you know, we we keep the the shadow of Live Aid looms large, and do uh, do we want to talk about that before we move on to some other topics? I ha- I have a couple other things I want to mention with regards to the movie, but I think I I think we've been sidestepping the largest set piece of of the movie for long enough. To, yeah. uh, you, you think it, you think it's time to to dig into some of this? I, I think it is, and I'll start it off with this. There's uh, 
what I would be a glaring error uh, in the beginning of that scene. Okay. And this is the scene that opens the movie as well as the one they revisit later on. Freddy jumping around, getting loose, walking out, having his arm up to the side as he's heading to the live stage. Right. You see Bono. You see The Edge. You see the rest of YouTube coming off stage. I don't know if they were playing in this in the, in this scene. I don't know if they were playing beforehand, but that is not accurate at all. Well, yeah, so it, it's funny. So, yeah, so you see you 2 which I had no idea about. I mean, that, that one just flew right over my head. That yeah. wasn't until I researched it I didn't either later. until research, yeah. <laughs> but what uh, what I had heard in uh, the video I saw, and that was, uh, uh, oh, gosh, uh, where is it? Uh, Flicks in the City was the, was the YouTube video yeah. I had watched. And basically, That's they, what I saw, too. So, uh, they posited. Well, one they said that that um, uh, what was it? Dire Straits or Steely Dan? Dire Straits was the one on dire before okay. uh, Queen. And and now that I think about it, thinking back to that scene, uh, like the right before they go on mm-hmm. toward the end after everything has happened, you can kind of hear that twang of Dire Straits that they have. So I think they did get that part right at the end. Yeah, and that and that's that's the argument she makes in the video, but she's not super confident on it. She's like, I think I can hear it. Um, so it's probably one of those things if you bend your ear and use your imagination enough and maybe squint, um, it's there. Mm-hmm. And and it would stand, turn down the radio, slow down. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it would stand to reason that you know there there's probably a lot of real estate on the Live Aid stage where maybe it would take you know you two would still be kind of coming through even after the next band has come up i mean it's but but that's that's a kind of a cool easter egg where it's a blink and you miss it and it doesn't bash you over the head which is kind of interesting because we we've talked about a lot of things within this movie that do bash you over the head and that you know it's it's interesting where where it chooses to be more uh delicate with uh um with its hand holding and when it doesn't but i i um I, I now, really... before we get into the main, like, the, the meat of this, right. I will say this. I thought it was the whole performance at first. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean... I, I thought it was. I'm like, I appreciate this. I love this so much. I'm like, wait a minute. They missed a song. I, I thought they only missed one song at the time. Right. I didn't know they missed two. Right. And so, I mean, uh, the, the thing that, that I liked about it, or, I mean, no, actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm tripping over myself. Um, I really liked that that was used as the framing device. You know, basically, mm-hmm. like it starts with, you know, what, what's essentially the climax of the movie. Again, everything about this movie is by the numbers. You know, yep. it, it's it's bread and butter, you know, meat and potatoes, biopicy type of stuff. You know, it ends at, you know, it begins at the climax and jumps back and then works its way back. I mean, that that's fine. I mean, narratively, I really enjoyed that. And I yeah, like the I, I like appreciate the, that format a yeah, lot. Yeah. I, uh, in, the, in movies like this. Yeah. So so I thought it I thought it was totally fine. Uh, but I yeah, I, you know. Uh, my hair was blown back. I was just I I was wrapped in the in the performance. I I really enjoyed mm. everything they did about it. So. Until you realize they didn't play one of like the most iconic songs from that from that uh, set. Yeah, it, little thing called love. Well, <laughs> it's it's okay. So so it's a uh, um, first. So I I hadn't seen the set prior to watching the movie. 
So I'm going in cold. So I'm just, I'm taking it as gospel as how it happened. Um, I would find out later that they, they, and really having only two songs, that's, you know, I mean, um, I, I, given, given what we know now about what else was cut, uh-huh. I don't understand the logic behind cutting it here. I can understand why We Will Rock You was cut. I understand that was highlighted in the, earlier in the movie. That right. is passable to me. Mm-hmm. You already cut Crazy Little Thing Called Love, the, the writing, the, the composing of it. Why would you cut it here in the, probably one of its most famous iterations of? Yeah. And for me, I... I Mm, I guess reflecting on it, it's I, I'm a little more sore about it than I was, say, last week when I was thinking mm-hmm. about it. Because last week, I mean, my my perspective on the Live Aid thing is like, okay, so certain cuts had to be made for time. And, I, and that's fine because I'm pretty confident we're going to get the whole thing on the home video release. So I guess I'm looking further and forward to that. And and even watching the movie again, if it you know next time I watch the movie, I don't know how sore it, it it's going to make me. It, it'll be interesting uh, to to reflect on that when that happens. Um, mm-hmm. I I was kind of bummed that that we will rock you kind of gets cut again retroactively or, or you know in in retrospect it makes sense because it's featured so heavily earlier in the movie and and I think the movie does a good job of not repeating itself whereas if this same movie um this same movie with a more shallow catalog i i could see that i could see you know all of these songs being repeated to where you would get tired of them so it is i i think it is a logical if not entirely satisfying choice to to make some of those cuts but one of the the things that wasn't in the movie that was in the trailer and i kept waiting for and i was disappointed that i didn't see is the part where where freddie puts his fingers against his ear and and listens for the audience that is not in the final cut of the movie and i was disappointed mm. about that cuz i i, I yeah. was waiting for it because i you know not knowing where it was going to be within the set uh presumably it's within uh either of those two songs either crazy little thing i'll love or we will rock you um yeah i think it was after crazy little thing you did that yeah so so if to- i remember right from the actual performance but um but yeah, and then the uh, the part where the where Jim Beach is up there and he removes the "Do Not Move" uh, sticker uh, on the board, then pods up the the loudest. I don't know if it happened that way, but it is true. <laughs> Jim Beach did uh, get them to make them louder than the rest of the bands uh, at at Live Aid, and that's louder than U2, Madonna, all these other enormous acts <laughs> of the time. They were the loudest and with good reason, obviously. Um, but I love that they threw that in there too. That yeah. they that they made sure that, that was that was known. Well, and and again, as production guys and and folks listening to the <laughs> podcast that are also production people, whether they be musicians or podcasters or whatever, I, I I'd like to hope that folks got a a uh, smile and a chuckle out of that because I I um I, I forgot about that for a quarter second until you brought it back up, but I I I uh, I I actually laughed. I mean, not not just chuckled. Oh, but I, I, it was like a. Ha! You know, just just like one of those, yeah, loud, loud laugh, laugh type things. I, I you, really you thought You know what that. my first thought was? What's that? My first thought was, 
oh, God, Casper's going to kill us. <laughs> uh, shout out Love to John Casper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, longtime KGRG engineer, uh, man-at-arms, uh, John Kasprick, uh, you know, who's uh, taught us more than a thing or two about audio engineering and, and sound production and and mm-hmm. all that. So, um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought the Live Aid sequence was really cool, and I liked that that was the climax of the movie, and I mm-hmm. like... Even even with the cuts that we were just talking about, I like that it you're spending twenty minutes or you know eighteen minutes or what whatever the the clock time is more than ten minutes um, on this sequence because I I don't I I can't think of another uh, musician related biopic that that has um uh lingered so long on one particular por- performance and mm-hmm. i i like that that it's just like okay here it is we're just here we're just doing live aid for the whole rest of the movie and i i, I will say this too about this i'm glad that they did there was one cut that they could have made and i'm sure anybody who didn't see the actual concert wouldn't have batted an eye him playing with the crowd. The, yeah. the day of day. Of, I mean, that's, that became iconic of Freddie to do that in his, in his concerts. And the fact that they kept that in made me appreciate that that much more. I mean, he, he's done this in pretty much every live special, basically every live special, I call it, uh, like <laughs> Queen in Montreal, Queen, in, uh, Queen at Wembley, uh, live killers, like every time he's done this and, I don't know anybody else who could command an audience the way Freddie did. Right. And I think that I, I hope that was um, displayed enough in this movie. I don't know if it was personally for my taste, but I hope that, uh, that the casual fans would go, oh my God, nobody could do that today. <laughs> Right. Honestly. 
Right. Well, and I think they they presented that in um well uh, during the uh, love of my life sequence where he's mm-hmm. showing uh Mary the performance on TV. And it's like, you know, it's so so there there's a lot of uh uh call and response and, you know, uh a crowd participation in that. So I I don't know if that if that's exactly what what you're getting at, but I I mean, I I think I think the movie does a pretty good job of showing uh, Freddie Mercury's showmanship and how into it people were. Um, for did you did you know about that? Like, because that was a that was a constant for that song specifically, "Love of My Life," uh, which was written written about Mary, right? Um, as we found out. Uh, did you know that that was like a constant that the crowds would sing it back to him? the way that they did like everybody there there wasn't anybody not singing that no i i had no idea uh that's yeah, that that's... one um now i'm here uh, even another one by Sadust, he got some uh some oh, parts sure. with crowd, crowd interaction in and uh 39 was another one that he did a lot of interactions with the crowds okay um uh, wow very cool <laughs> um so as a as we move on um I, I mean, so I mean, we we we've been overwhelmingly positive, you know, about this movie. Mm-hmm. We've been critical in spots, but um, I, I'm wondering. Well, oh, sorry. If, go ahead. If I may, one one more spot on the crowd crowd interaction part. You yeah. know what would actually probably make a lot of money right now, and I think we could actually make this a thing. You know how like Rocky, Rocky Horror Picture Show has their uh, their yearly thing where people come out, dress up, thing, do all that. Oh, sure. Why can we do this with this movie? Why can we have like sing along type things at these movies? You know what I I think you're on to something because I mean like they've um, uh, theater chains have been doing that in recent years like uh, last year or year before like whenever the Greatest Showman came out the the mm-hmm. the Hugh Jackman is P T Barnum movie great movie by the yeah. way and and it is actually uh, it's completely. Uh, we talk about liberties, about people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's one of those things, though. See, because I, I at least at least I'm consistent because I'm a sucker for this nonsense. Because, yeah, I, oh, yeah. I'm I loved uh, The Greatest Showman. I thought it I oh, thought so it, I. I thought it was a great movie. I really liked the music. And so anyway, so like I, I want to say it was AMC theaters. They they had a you know, they had a variety of sing along showings. That were specifically mm. like even like you know they'll have like the lyrics and the bouncing ball and stuff yep. like up on the screen, and if they did something like this for Bohemian Rhapsody, I I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I think you get uh, a good a good audience for it because me it was taking everything in my power not to sing out loud. I was singing to myself pretty much every song that came on. Oh, to totally. be honest, I'm like that's where I got the idea. I'm like this could be a thing. Why why can't we just <laughs> have a thing where everybody just sings all the songs. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I mean, I and and again, there there was there there's more to like here than not. And and yeah. you know, I mean, a lot of it is rushed at times and you know, a lot of it is contrived at times like we've already talked about like uh you know, like I mean, the thing that that 
I mean, again, it, it's a movie, but like in like the very first scene where Freddie is singing, he can't he can't figure out how to operate the mic stand, and we're, yes. and we're somehow and that became iconic, and we're led to believe that that's what I mean. I'm sure that's not how mm. it happened at all, but you don't care because it's a movie, and it mm. and so when you see him at the end at Live Aid, still with like half a mic stand in his hand, it clicks because it ties into something that was there earlier in the movie and and again a lot you know some folks are you know kind of shitty about it but i again i i like that stuff and i i um again maybe because i like i'm older and curmudgeonier i mean it's probably largely because i have curmudgeony tendencies but i like movies that make me feel good and this movie makes me feel good because even though it it doesn't have the happiest of endings, I mean, obviously we know what ultimately happens to Freddie Mercury, and but they present it in a way that it's still up, uplifting and stuff. Like you know, all like you know the text that they showed, you know, before the credits rolled and all of that stuff. I mean, I'm I'm cool with all that. I left the theater feeling good, whereas like, you know, and and not to tangent too terribly much, a, a couple weeks prior to that, uh, Lucky and I went to go see A Star is Born. And I hate that movie because of the way it makes me feel. It, it's it's I mean, it's it's a great movie. I mean, um, you know, so this is like a mini Stars Born review within a Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> review. But but well, every- I mean, people were comparing the movies. I didn't know we were doing that. Uh, first of all, I didn't know there was going to be comparisons between A Star is Born and Bohemian Rhapsody. I thought they were two completely different movies, like substance-wise. Well, one was a natural biopic, and one is a fictional story. <laughs> Sorry, Lady Gaga. <laughs> well, yeah, well, and it's funny because, like, you know I mean? We even heard a little bit that in that clip uh, from Mark Bernardin that I played earlier. You know, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. guy accident. But but the thing with, with the and, – and there are a lot of the, the same beats – you know that yeah. I mean, it does a lot of the same stuff. But the but the thing with me for uh, Star is Born first, believe everything you've heard about it. Um, okay. You know, um, uh, Lady Gaga can act and quite well. Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. can sing quite well. Um, uh, Sam Elliott should be. Uh, um, he is. Uh, his role is a thief in the night because he comes in and steals every scene that he's in. He is magnificent in the role that he's in. And if he doesn't end up with a best supporting nomination towards uh, um, award season, that's going to be really disappointing. But, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I'm not going to watch the movie again because of the way I felt after I watched it. I don't like movies where I don't feel good after watching them. So it, okay. it's, 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 uh, again, everything you've heard, it's true. It's, it's, it's a brilliant movie. All the performances are great, but I don't like it. Whereas this, you know, this is PG 13. It's sanitized, arguably kind of watered down. You're kind of messing with the time frame a little bit, but I will watch this movie several more times because I like it and I felt good watching it. So that's, okay. I mean, so, so that, that's kind of me being a uh, captain positive about it. Um, 
But um, I, I guess before we go further, because I think there's a couple other things we wanted to touch on before we close out. Um, mm-hmm. are, are there any particular disappointments that you had? Or actually, sorry, I, I didn't really open up the floor for you to put out positives that you haven't yet. Um, do you want to do like a positive <laughs> and a negative, uh, you know, kind of like a roundup of stuff maybe we haven't uh, uh, talked about yet? Well, no, I've, I've hit all the points I wanted to hit as far as negatives. Like I said, I could have used a little more early Freddy uh, yeah. to uh, communicate that his character, because he was shy, he was reserved back in, uh, when he was growing up because of the way he looked and because of who he was. Um, we at least got the backstory that he's from um, Zanzibar, uh, from India, from Zanzibar. Yeah. Uh, their family fled the, the the horrible things there, go to England uh, to become yeah. who he became. I mean, at least we got that backstory. Um, as far as positives, we haven't said. I, I can't say po- more than enough positive things about it. I mean, nice. we said all the positives. I can go through them again, though. <laughs> that that's. That's how much this movie resonated for me. But I do want to ask this, Mike, of you, and and I'll answer it afterwards. Okay. Since we have this movie out now, the Remy Malik version, do we want a more Sasha Baron Cohen type person uh, type uh, version? That's that's a fascinating question. Um, Hot take. Now that I've seen this, and this is a thing that exists, Mm -hmm. I I could live with it. Um, but what okay. I but what I really want though, and I mentioned it earlier, is I want a more I, I want a documentary film now. And I feel mm-hmm. that those two things can live side by side. Like like I guess the example I'm thinking of is um uh th- there uh, the the guy that walked across the tightrope across the uh, uh, twin towers of the World Trade Center, you know, it's like they that the uh, one of them is the walk, the other one is man on wire, and I don't remember which one is which. One of <laughs> one of them is a movie uh, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and is kind of okay. Uh, the other one is a uh, documentary film that really kind of you know kind of gets into you know this thing and. They're they're starkly different because one is a Hollywood um, biopic-y type of film that has narrative structure. The other one is more of a documentary film that kind of hews to the facts as, as best as possible. But the two things side by side kind of really kind of give you a full enjoyable uh, uh, thing on that. Uh, kind of watch watching it in 3D, though. For folks that get like mm. the vertigo will get the vertigo on that because, uh, yeah, some of those 3D shots are are uh, pretty dizzying. Uh, but my point being yeah, is no, I, I guess <laughs> I guess that that would be my first preference. But in a world where Bohemian Rhapsody exists and nobody's going to take it away from me, Sure. Now you can do maybe something that's a that that's a little more harder, um, okay. and 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 I remember. And again, I I I, I don't mean to uh, trample on your toes or you know uh, um, uh, not give you your time, but I remember um, circa 2015. I think um, there was a time where I was kind of okay 
with Sasha Baron Cohen and the and that casting. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, again, this was a number of years ago, and he's since done stuff since that that I'm not necessarily into. But but the thing I remember at the time is I kind of put as my defense that I'm not using as a defense now, mind you. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sending mixed signals, and I apologize to everybody. But but I one of the things that I said at the time was that he does have a chameleon-like quality to him where he can sink into a role and where he has a very similarly exotic look to Freddie Mercury, like Rami Malek, I I think that, you know, with similar uh, hairstyling and prosthetics and makeup, you know, he could look like Freddie Mercury. I mean, maybe not as much as Rami Malek, I don't know, but I think there's there's a world that maybe could allow for that. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop and kick it to you. (laughs) Well, there's people that think that Sasha Baron Ash's face actually looks more like, uh, uh, Freddie Mercury than Remy Malik does. I don't see it myself. Um, like you said, maybe with the prosthetics, maybe Sasha Baron Ash's face would look more like him. I'm not sure. Are are you trying not to laugh at me saying Sasha Baron Ash's face over and over? (laughs) 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 Uh, But no, uh, I, I don't, I don't remember if we talked about this on a show at KGRG or if we were just in one of our bowl sessions or not, but I don't know if you remember my main concern be, behind Sasha Baron Cohen actually doing that role. Is, and, and this was my main concern, and it still would be even with Bohemian Rhapsody out there now, sure. if he were to do something uh, more darker, could he be serious? I have yet to see him be serious in a role. He's always played these these out of whack characters, the over over exaggerated, um, stereotypical type characters. Yeah, I don't know if he could give the respect that is due to the Freddie Mercury name by portraying him. I, 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 yeah, I would be afraid. Even now, I would be afraid for him to do it. I don't know who else can play it though. Yeah, at that I, point, except for Rami Malek. <laughs> well, yeah, and and that's. Um... And, and and that's a, a righteous fear because one thing that I do think, regardless of you know whether I think this would be a good idea or not or or whatever, is that I do feel that it would be an over the top impression. I don't think it would have mm. the deft and subtlety that that Rami Malek's performance had. I think it it would be a cartoon. He would be a cartoon version of Freddie Mercury, and and on that, and knowing Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, uh, his um, what's the word I'm looking for his you expect him to be retaliatory if he doesn't get his way. Yeah. I, I almost expect him to do something stupid like that uh, in the near future because of the success that we've seen now with Bohemian Rhapsody and with Rami Malek doing what he did. I almost expect Sasha Baron Cohen. Maybe it might be in one of his, uh, his, this is America skits. Who knows if that's even yeah. a show anymore. He could pull out a Freddie Mercury like character and just be oh. over the top. And I, and oh. I'm not here for that at all. Oh, I hadn't even considered that. Yeah, you can keep that shit right in its ear. That's mm. yeah, no, we'll we'll have to keep an eye out for that. And and here's the thing. I don't know how amicable the disillusion of that version of the project was. Uh I haven't really heard anything from the Baron Cohen camp one way or the other. I haven't heard him be shitty about it. Um I haven't heard him either. He's been pretty um uh 
straight face about it. Like he hasn't seemed like there's there doesn't seem like there's malice there, but you never know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a, a couple other things I wanted to uh, talk about is, you know, um, just just kind of get into some raw numbers, because like okay. I I mean, because I mean, you know, it, it's it's weird because. Uh, the critical response to this has been really kind of a mixed bag, and I was really kind of surprised because I like I uh, you know first I looked at the box office you know had a had a budget of you know fifty to fifty five million, but uh, currently as it stands uh, it's a uh, gross three hundred and eighty four million dollars. So people are going to this movie, people are supporting this movie, and they seem to kind of like it. You know if uh, if if it's making that kind of money, but the thing that that I, I was kind of surprised about uh, this uh, this morning was uh, revisiting the Rotten Tomato score. The way mm-hmm. I remembered it, and uh, again, maybe I'm misremembering, but I thought it was like in the low 50s. I don't think it was certified fresh at the time. And that, that was critic rise, right? Correct. Now, and, and so actually my, my argument kind of loses punch a little bit uh, because currently on the tomato meter, it has 62%, which is certified fresh. That's uh, um, that's 309 total reviews. Um, the critical consensus reads Bohemian Rhapsody hits a handful of high notes, but as an in-depth look at the beloved band, it offers more of a medley than a true greatest hits collection. And much, mm. much like some of the other criticisms, it's not exactly wrong. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> but... Um, and, and I usually don't put much credence in this until it fits my narrative, but, uh, the audience, <laughs> audience score is, uh, 93% on, uh, oh, uh on 12,000, uh, user ratings. And, and I, again, maybe I'm misremembering this, but I thought the, the chasm was even wider than that. I thought it was like a 50%, uh, critic r- rating and like a 90% audience rating. So, mm. What that tells me or what it told me um, was that people are gravitating to this movie and they don't care about the nitpicky stuff that that, um, you know, a lot of the more hoity toity uh, critics are uh, pointing out. Um, But that being said, uh, I I did have a couple things uh, criticism wise that I haven't uh, mentioned yet. I was just revisiting some of my notes. I mean, we talked about kind of the rushed ending a little bit. It's it Mm -hmm. it, it is kind of weird that everything happens on Live Aid Day where, you know, uh, you know, Freddie. uh, (laughs) Yeah. And um, I mean, I did like, though, that that um you know that that kind of provides a coda with uh, with his father you know i like mm-hmm. how they brought in you know that that uh uh that maxim of uh good thoughts good words good deeds i i yeah. i really liked that and, and but again that that's something where you're you're making it fit the narrative which is okay because it's a movie but even at 2 hours and 15 minutes it it felt like oh oh well wait a minute we need to get to live aid so we can end this movie uh, for yeah. a movie that long it did feel uh, kind of rushed uh, towards the end. Um, I also wanted to talk about and we haven't really touched on this at all. It's really um, kind of in the middle part of the movie. Um, I feel that Freddie's character is portrayed. Um, uh, sometimes naive 
at best and at worst, sometimes almost kind of childlike, uh, specifically with his interactions with Mary. Like, you know, the mm-hmm. whole flipping on the, the light switch and yep. that that one. Taking a, a drink and toasting to each other through the windows. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. it, it <sighs> Go ahead. <laughs> I, well, I was just going to say, I, I don't know if that was a thing or not if it is then i can't throw stones at it but in a movie where we're taking so many other liberties i don't know if this is something that was manufactured for the story and and even some of the stuff with uh with paul i mean it it comes across i mean like oh you didn't tell me about live aid you know it's like you know a lot of that again it's kind of kind of pushing forward his villain narrative and mm-hmm. it, it comes across as a little too simplistic and i think in some of those sequences freddy comes across as as uh, i almost oh i don't know almost uh michael jackson like you know where it's like he just i was going to make that comparison too yeah and, and you're not wrong in in that portrayal i'm not sure if that's how it was i mean mary was a private person, realistically. Sure, okay. uh, she did very few interviews, even after Freddie passed. Uh, she did some stuff for like the the some of the books that were written and a couple of the documentaries that were actually made on Freddie. But outside of that, like she was a very private person. Mm-hmm. So we we'll never know. I've ne- I've never read anything about the lights thing, so I'm not. I can't speak to that out of okay. my out of my research. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I can't really get mad about, but it was just one of those things. It's like, and, and even like, you know, in the party scenes and stuff like that, he, he's, you know, again, it, it's sanitized PG 13 and by the numbers biopic, but it's more like he's just being, you know, flouncy. It, 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 it struck me as again, Michael Jackson light, not, not to, not to, you know, repeat the point, but, um, but that's where I landed on that. But there was, um, there I'm sure in a movie this jam packed we you know we've been talking for uh, quite some time you know about like some incongruities and time loops and and things that were just straight up left out but um a couple things that that it really kind of uh, it didn't bother me yeah I'm not talking about things that bothered me it just kind of it just um uh I I would have liked uh, them to touch on within the context of the movie the uh, uh, the movie work that Queen did. Mm. Like I would have, yeah. I would have loved to have seen um, Flash Gordon in there, and I I would mm. have loved to or have seen Highlanders. Highlander mm. stuff. Yeah, so like not mm. you know skipping over that entire thing again. There's no place for it in this narrative. And I do understand that. So so I'm not salty about it. I'm like, oh, man, they really should have. But something I posted right before I uh, walked into the theater to watch Bohemian Rhapsody was, well, my only hope for this movie is that it's as good of a platform cinematically for the music of Queen as Flash Gordon and Highlander are. And... <laughs> In that, I got what I wanted, but because of that, the way that I posted that, that kind of wormed into my brain that I think I wanted <laughs> to see that represented because Queen is such a... You can't have either of those two movies without Queen's music. They're, they're completely different yeah. movies. And I think in a... In a um, in a production where we're talking about the importance and influence of Queen... It stretches to uh, cinema as well. 
So again, mm-hmm. I I don't know where they would have put it, but I would have liked to have seen it. Um, how well, about you? Is do you remember uh, when uh, Freddie would come out on Darth Vader's shoulders for concerts to sing "We Will Rock You"? Do you no. remember hearing anything about that? No. Tell me I more. Know why they couldn't do it here? I uh, and it's a licensing thing. Actually, George Lucas actually threatened to sue Freddie just, uh, if he didn't stop doing that after so long. Then he started coming out <laughs> of Superman's shoulders. But yeah, there was a time frame. Uh, I believe it was shortly after Empire it. came out that he was coming out on. Uh, it was one of his stage guys dressed up in the Darth Vader suit, and he was saying, "We will rock you" to start up the show. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I I had no idea. That's that's funny. Uh, but you talk about the the queen with the movies, like that kind of stuff. I, I understand why it wasn't incorporated because of licensing, right. I'm sure. But oh uh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, the, you know, one of the main lines of Bicycle Rice is, "I don't like Star Wars." Uh, the exact opposite. It was true. He he loves Star Wars so much as they had Darth Vader. One of the stage stage guys uh, dressed up as Darth Vader, and he'd come out on his shoulders at the beginning of each uh, show. It was a lot of the U.S. shows they did it in, too, which was awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, so I'll yeah. uh, send you a link later. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I definitely got to check that out. And I'll, uh, uh, once I get the link, I'll put that up in the show notes as well for uh, for folks yeah. to enjoy that as well. Um, and And... Honestly, Dave, at this point, I, I, you know, I'm shuffling my, shuffling my papers. Oh, I got one more if you don't have anything. Remember, I, we have some uh, breaking news that came out today. Oh yeah, about the movie already. Yeah, uh, the first award has been announced. Oh, for uh, for this movie, uh, Rami Malek is going to be getting uh, the Breakthrough Performance Award at the Palm Springs International Film Festival for his role as Freddie Mercury. Oh. I, I don't know what that is, but that sounds rad. I mean, because, you know, yeah, it's a. Uh, because, yeah, I, I don't really know what the festival circuit is and how well or not Bohemian Rhapsody is uh, um, represented. So, but mm. but that sounds good. And that, and that, um, hopefully that sounds like a uh, sign of things to come. So, I mean, real talk kind of putting our, you know, I mean, it's, Uh-oh. it's kind of hard, but do you think that this movie uh, can compete and is a contender uh, come award season? And, and if so, I think it's going to think- win sound. I think it's going to win costume. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much more I want to say Remy Malek will get a nomination. I don't know if he will. Right, but I feel like he should for an Oscar, at least a Golden Globe, if not if not a Oscar. I think he'll get more Golden Globes, Golden Globe nominations and wins than Oscars. Yeah, I I agree with you on that because I mean, here's the thing, uh, and not to get conspiracy theory on it, but Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood, and. Mm. It likes I'm me. sure Star is Born is going to get more Oscars than Bohemian Rhapsody, like fully or wrongfully, depending on uh, who you ask. But I think that's going to be the way it's going to go. And that's going to be the only one that I think will compete for sound, uh, any of the sound awards. Yeah, it, it, I mean, you hit the nail on the head because I think that, uh, I think just based upon proximity of release date, Unfortunately, these two movies will always be kind of intertwined in some way. It's, it's going to take 
uh, a couple of years after you know they they've been on home video and have kind of gone around for a while for that separation to happen because uh, yeah that that's I believe those are going to be the conversations uh, come award season where it's like well you know Rami Malek or Bradley Cooper and it's like well but that's that's not fair because they're they're doing different stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yes, they're both music movies, but still, one's a biopic, one's a fictional story. Exactly. There's a huge difference between the two. Yeah, and I don't and, think that'll be that'll be uh, uh, considered. I don't think that'll be for the consideration. <laughs> Unfortunately, I completely agree with you because, yeah, I think I think that Bohemian Rhapsody is going to get left out in the cold and uh, in a lot of things. I mean, I hope it could it could uh, pick up some technical categories. Um, I, again, I think uh, I think costuming and all of that. I mean, I anymore. I'd say I, even visual uh, with, with the way they recreated Wembley, the way they did, oh, and sure. some of the other visuals on there. I think they could be a runner for that too. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, we talked about this movie costing uh, $50 million, and I bet you a good mm-hmm. chunk of it was thrown at the Live Aid sequence. I mean, that's that's where they spent their money. Because, I mean, I mean, as magnificent as Apparently, it is— Apparently, they rebuilt it out of an airfield. Uh, they, they built it on an airfield and then uh, got, like, head out flyers said, hey, Queen fans, come be in this movie. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, see, and, and again, I, I hope— Come home video time that there's you know some extensive documentaries on that because I I'd really like to see how that how that sequence came together because I couldn't tell you know it uh, how much of that is aided with uh, CGI you know maybe it's like a, a computer enhanced crowd or how how much of it actually is I uh, mm. I don't know so um, and going back to one of our old uh, conversations on one of the other podcasts that's not a bad thing right now because. Sure. We we talked extensively about how CGI has degraded over the past uh, decade or so. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. If it was CGI, that's that's a good thing that you couldn't tell. Definitely. Now, uh, one thing that that I want to close out with, um, mm-hmm. you know, or as we get closer to closing out, um, I I, uh, I I wanted to share something that that our um, another one of our classmates and cohorts uh, at uh, KGRG, Andrea, uh, something she put mm-hmm. out. Now she's she's a huge music geek, and it's funny because yeah. like, I mean, I mean, she's probably what like twenty two, maybe something like that. Um, that yeah. very, very young, um, but. But musically, she has a very old soul, and she like you know likes a lot of lot of stuff. But something that she posted about after watching Bohemian Rhapsody really really stuck with me. And uh, basically, she wrote that um, it she liked the movie, but she liked that it portrayed how fun it is to make music. And that, you know, she's found some, you know, uh, uh, inspiration from that. And it's like, yeah, it's like not only does it show, you know, the how great the music of Queen is, but it also just shows how cool it can be being a musician. So um, mm-hmm. I just uh, I, I wanted to share that before uh, before we got too much further. And I, I didn't want to forget about it because it was uh, like Got I it. said, it was something that. Um, oh, and since since we're, uh, uh, you know, clearing the boards, one thing I didn't <laughs> mention, you know, I, I talked about uh, Sam Elliott in uh, Star is Born, you know, being a thief in the night and stealing every scene that he's in. Literally every scene where Freddy's cats are on screen, they yeah. steal the show. Uh. 
I mean that that is that is some brilliant cat acting, and um, you, you can do better. <laughs> <laughs> and and I really like that because yeah I I uh, you know we we have a pair of cats ourselves and I can't get my cats to respond that way so I don't know what kind of cat wrangling they have but for but for all of those cats to have such expressive personalities um I I really enjoyed that and I I I really appreciated that it showed uh Freddie as a as a cat lover that just uh well, well that's that. why they all needed their own rooms because they all had their own personality <laughs> <laughs> Exactly So yeah so I so I liked I liked that quite a bit um uh. So yeah, so I mean, yeah. as, as um as uh, um uh, closing thoughts or or things that or places you want to take us next. Oh, I'm I'm not sure yet. I know uh, I know I don't want to see Bohemian Rhapsody two Electric Boogaloo because you know how sequels are nowadays, even for stuff like this. <laughs> oh, so uh, unless it's like Brian May reading out of one of his uh, astrophysics books. <laughs> sure. I, I don't think I can handle that. <laughs> but that, that's the thing that I thought they would dive into. I, I guess that there is one other uh, gripe I had about the movie. They didn't go more into the bands because they all have degrees, at least bachelors, if not even uh, like Brian May, he's a doctorate right now in astrophysics. Right. Um, that They didn't go into that. They, they mentioned it, but they didn't go into that aspect of it. I think I could use a little more of that too myself. Yeah. And and again, though, unfortunately, much like a lot of the other stuff, like, you know, like me with my movie stuff, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, that it, it, it's a slave to the clock. And it is. And let's mm-hmm. say if they put in everything that we would have wanted, the movie would have been three hours and it would have been unwatchable because, I mean, th- this style of movie and we keep talking about it, but. What I like about it is that it is so palatable. If this was a a three-hour dour slog, like, I mean, like, I like Walk the Line. I like Ray. But I am in no hurry to watch either of those movies anytime soon because they're, you know, I mean, it gets dark in times, but they're also both very long. I want to say both of those movies are north of two and a half hours. And I think that extra 15, 20 minutes makes a difference and it makes Bohemian Rhapsody a little more leaner and a little more meaner and more approachable than say something that would be like on two video cassettes back in the day. I'd say we're probably Ryan and Titanic and all the other long movies like that. Exactly. Yeah. No, that, that's a fair take. Uh, I can understand that. And and that's just me speaking as a fan of what I would have wanted to see more. Sure. Uh, the, the movie is, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's fine the way it is. It is, it, yeah, it goes out of, out of order a few times. So what? It's like you said, it's an enjoyable movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that every Queen fan should take the time to see if they haven't already. Absolutely, and uh, so yeah, I think I think that's as uh, uh, good a place to leave it for now. Um, uh, Dave, how could people get a hold of you if they would like to uh, uh, at you, as as the kids say? And how <laughs> uh, how can folks get a hold of you on the interwebs? I'm on uh, the Twitter at SandersD84. Uh, also, just check out my Facebook, facebook.com slash SandersD84. 
leave me a message, let me know if I'm completely out of touch with reality <laughs> or if I'm hit the nail right on the head. It's usually the former. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, uh, I, I tell but, you, Dave, this is a, this has been a real blast. This This was a lot of fun. Yes, thank you for having me on, and thank you for giving me a, the opportunity to talk about something that I have a passion for uh, when it regard when it's in regards to Queen and their. Uh, uh, like I said, I, I, I'm I'm the opposite of you. I wish I I wish Freddie was still with us because I would like to see what he would have done throughout the years. To I don't think he would have went with uh, with the way things have gone. I think he would have stuck to what he knew worked. Yeah, that's just me though. I, I, I don't think we he would have done the the pop synthesizer crap that's out now sure yeah i i don't disagree with you i just it, it was just it was just something that popped into my head when i thought of you know mm. more it, advanced production techniques that like just because i mean you know ian malcolm said it best in jurassic park it's like you know there's they uh, the scientists were so uh keen on seeing if they oh man killing spree is is just throwing oh, his phone no. across the room because i totally fucked yeah, up yeah. that line but anyway yeah, yeah it's like you know that they, they, they were so set on uh whether they could something they never stopped to consider that whether they should and yeah. and i think um yeah i think that's definitely uh the thing with uh more advanced production techniques um and you know as a, as as we were winding down dave uh, i i was thinking about something I, I was just um yeah it's so funny we keep coming in for a landing and i keep kind of pulling it yes. pulling it up it's like no i want to talk more because i mean it I, happens with us <laughs> absolutely but i i'm reminded of a another project that um that you did very early like you know like one of the first things i heard uh when we first met uh do you remember the uh podcast you did for charlie harger's class um yeah the, was... the top five queen songs that don't get as much like that, that, that are considered quote greatest hits mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um do you uh do you still have that somewheres that maybe i can i, I can do see <laughs> I, we might have to include that as a link in the show notes also because I uh, um, it was one of those things where I was listening to it in our digital radio class again taught by you know award-winning journalist uh, Charlie Harger um, uh, I, I just um, I, I just it, it really kind of that that was the first exposure to me knowing that you were like a uh you know just such a huge queen fan and that you are uh you know super passionate about their music and, mm-hmm. and what they're all about so um yeah like i said i was just i was just sitting here uh, uh musing for a second i'm like wait a minute i bet you that podcast is still available somewheres but um but yeah no that um I, like I said, I, I I I could talk to you for literally for hours, but um, oh yeah, but uh, but anything else you want to talk about uh, before uh, before oh, we sign off? I don't think so right now. Uh, we'll leave all that for our next episode where we talk about the mid season replacements. Ah, very uh, good. <laughs> yeah, and some good, and, some bad, some need to go already. <laughs> <laughs> well and that and that'll give us an opportunity to touch on uh some of uh some of the shows that um mm-hmm. that th- that we've enjoyed so far because there's there's been a good couple shows that I've really enjoyed and then there's been one show in particular that give it that's given me all kinds of feels that I don't know that I wanted. So I'll I'll uh, leave I'll is it, it, it have to do with a uh aging out uh rookie cop? Um 
yes, also, but also that other show. <laughs> I mean, so ba- oh. so yeah, so basically, okay. well, oh, okay, well, oh, fine. Since since we we'll stumbled into it, we'll leave it there. We'll, leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so go back and listen to our uh, fall preview. There was a there was a show that Dave said this is my show. This is the show I'm looking most forward to. I uh, oh. I, I also said there's this show that I'm looking forward to, and both of those shows are magnificent. And I could talk oh, for hours. I got you. I got you. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun, but uh, we got to leave it there for now. And that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate it. And if you'd like to listen to my past episodes, including all of my KGRG college radio shows, subscribe on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, the Stitcher Radio app, Apple Podcasts, and on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Like, share, rate, and review the show wherever you find it. And if you would like to leave a review on iTunes, five stars, please, I will read your review and give you a shout-out on the air. And if you're an independent artist and would like to be a featured guest on the show, let me know and I'll get you on the schedule. Same goes if you're interested in being a guest co-host during an upcoming episode. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MikeSybertRadio, and write into the mailbag, MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com. And a reminder, that spelling is S-E-I-B-E-R-T, exactly the way it sounds. This has been Mike Seibert Radio. My name is Mike. My name is Dave. And until next time, make good choices. Be good humans.